Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints, ladies and gentlemen, happy Monday and welcome to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. And we're going to talk about the money, honey. It's all about the finances today, a little bit of mortgage, a little bit of economy, and we're going to start with our mortgage guru, Jabir Najir, Raya John Mortgage. Good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning, Gretchen. I am doing good, doing good. It's Monday morning, and it is Mortgage Monday, and I'm ready to give everybody some great information on what's going on in the market today. Yeah, because we are like a little bit, I think, shell-shocked a little bit when it comes to these rates. I mean, especially considering what was going on, uh, I guess, earlier in the year or even late last year. I mean kind of hard to want to go out and get a house, but at the same time, there's got to be some, I guess, benefit or advantage to go ahead and get that uh, roof over your head now. I, I don't think I heard the last the last sentence of what you just mentioned. Oh, uh, I was what you just saying said. it's got to be some sort of advantage to going ahead and getting that roof over your head now, even with the, the right. rates the way they are. Talk about that for a minute, because I, I guess I'm a little bit thrown because I've always understood that just because sometimes the Federal Reserve goes up on the rate doesn't necessarily mean that that impacts the mortgage rate. However, there seems to be a little bit of a direct correlation lately. Can you explain? Uh, yeah, so just because the, the, the Feds go up on the rate doesn't necessarily always mean that the – mortgage rate will increase, but they are tied together, but not directly. They're not tied at the hips, I should say. So that's why even though the Fed's raise rates, you know, once per month, you'll see the mortgage rates swing, have a lot of swings up and down throughout the month. And that's just based on the confidence in the market. Um, That's also based on um, other data that comes out, whether it's the job markets, da- uh, the, the uh, employment data, or inflation data, uh, such things such as that, where it forces the bond market to um, increase in regards to the, the cost for the bonds. Normally, it's loosely tied to a 10-year bond. So once that 10-year bond yield goes up, then you're going to actually see interest rates go up. And we even saw a drop in rates over the last two weeks based on some inflation data that came out that came out better than expected. 
And in addition to the Fed stating that they're going to possibly reduce the amount in which they're increasing rates. And it's very important that people understand that because um, over the last couple of meetings, I think the last four meetings, they've actually increased the Fed funds rate by three-quarters of a percent. And Powell just mentioned that they're looking at – so now the increase in the rates are actually less aggressive. I mean, we don't know officially yet, but uh, the upcoming increase should be a half a point. So the market's actually reacted positive in a positive manner. So um, if you are into stocks, you probably saw that there's a little bit of a pop in your stock portfolio because it's still in uh, confidence in the market. And also, as a result of that, rates actually decreased a little bit. Now, this morning, rates started to increase again a little bit, but the last two weeks have actually been pretty good for, for rates. So if you're looking at a 7.375, let's say, three weeks ago, as of Friday, you should have been looking at a 6.375 approximately. So it's almost a full point lower in just, you know, two and a half weeks. So our rate and we're going to talk a little increase, bit yes. later. We're going to talk a little bit later okay. about some of those other factors you mentioned, like the jobs and stuff later on. Uh, Paul Shelton's coming on later. But I wanted to ask you, too, so are you finding people more inclined to get uh, fixed rate loans, or are they getting adjustable? Is that being offered? So yes, uh, adjustable rates are being offered, and you know they have been offered for. Actually, they have always been offered, um, but right. when rates are very low, um, it's like okay, do you go with the two point seven five fix or two point you know five adjustable? And, you know, why make that gamble whenever rates are so low? Now, yes, there is still right. adjustable rate to mortgage available now. In my opinion, in many cases, the spread is not wide enough, in my opinion, to say that adjustable is worth it, but that's up to the, the borrower if they want really? to take the – Yeah, if they want to take the, um, the adjustable rate mortgage to the fix. I just remember a very long time ago, you know, back in the days, uh, you know, 2010, 2007, 2004, uh, where there was a, a larger spread, you know, sometimes a point and a half, maybe even two points in some cases, uh, but at least, a, at least a point minimum. And right now we're, we're seeing a half a point difference, and I'm not really sure if it's actually worth it to go with a adjustable rate mortgage for a half a point. Um, you could do the well, math on your own. I guess, cause, I oh, guess I'm asking because, and I'm sorry to interrupt. I guess I'm asking because I, I'm wondering, are with, is there any anticipation that the rates will go back down to three or two? Um, um, and I mean, because wouldn't it be more prudent to do an adjustable rate if? There's that possibility of it going back down to at least maybe a three, even, you know, four? Yes, but, you know, when would that be, you know, let's, you know, two years from now? So, you know, mm-hmm. we don't really know what's going to happen in the future or rates could possibly increase. So, you know, maybe you may not lose if you have, like, a five-year with the arm, if it's six or five years, maybe seven years, so you could, mm-hmm. you know, refinance in the future. Um, mm-hmm. It's just that there's not because, that big. I, I was okay. just thinking because 
adjustable rates, they don't always necessarily, do they always necessarily adjust up or can they adjust down? Oh, both ways. They could go up or down. So they're, right. They're, right. So they're, they're usually tie, uh, tied to depend on the mortgage with some type of index. So depending on whether that goes up or down, then if, the, if it goes up, of course, your rate would go up. If it goes down, then, of course, your rate would go down. So there's a lot of benefit to being in just for rate mortgage once the rates actually start to go down. Uh, where the rates are at now, I mean, hopefully we peaked out. So maybe adjustable rate mortgage may not be a, a bad thing um, because, and you know, nobody really knows because the feds are going to continue to increase rates. We don't know what the first quarter of next year is going to, is going to bring. So rates could continue to uh, march back up where we are currently get, you know, we currently have a little bit of a break. Um, and if rates stay up for a thin amount of time, and yeah, I guess you could possibly get caught with a higher interest rate in the future. But I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that, you know, once the, I, I shouldn't say safe to say, but the feds have actually said that once they actually hit, you know, there's certain data points that they need before they start to cut rates, then, yeah, at that point, it would be beneficial to be into a uh, adjustable rate mortgage because your rate would go down. Okay. So um, are there programs now that you are seeing that are more popular than others right now because of the high um, rates that we have now? Well, one of the things that, have, that has recently come, you know, to the forefront in talks at least is um, – the two-one buy-down. So, if you have a seller who is selling a property, um, one thing I would say is instead of actually having them reduce the payment—I mean, I'm sorry—reduce the sales price, it may be mm-hmm. advantageous to keep the sales price as where, where it's at and have them pay for two-one buy-down. So, basically, the two-one buy-down would be that you would get an interest rate that is two percentage points below what the current market rate is. So, okay. you know, let's say today at a 6.375, at 2-1 buy-down, your initial rate would be a 4.375. The second year would be a 5.375. And then the third year until the end of your mortgage would be a 6.375. So that's one thing that's actually come to the forefront um, when it comes to the negotiation of these um, of these, mortg- of these um, mor- mortgages slash uh, purchase contracts is the 2-1 buy-down. They've actually been using the money uh, to buy down the rate. It's a temporary buy-down to get the rate a lot lower than the current market rate. So that's one thing that I think has come that's pretty big. Uh, the other thing for current homeowners, actually, is they're taking advantage of the second mortgages. I know we kind of touched on it over the last couple um, market um, uh, mortgage Mondays, but – right. One thing that a lot of people have actually done is they've become overwhelmed with a lot of their credit cards. So they've depended on their credit cards a lot. Now their credit cards are actually uh, close to the limit, and they're trying to pay it down. But as we all know, if you make those minimum payments, you'll pay that. You'll, it'll take you 20 years to pay off that credit card. So um, a lot of people are saying, hey, put me into a fixed-rate second mortgage. A couple of people I've put into HELOCs. And they have this fixed rate. Uh, well, the HELOC is not fixed, but the second mortgage is fixed. Um, and they know that they could pay down this uh, this large credit card debt 
in a certain period of time, whether they choose 10 years or 30 years, at least they know that, you know, they see the balance going down every month instead of just basically paying interest on credit cards that will never go anywhere. So for current homeowners, I'd say that if you're, if you feel as if you're overwhelmed with, you know, monthly pay, um, a HELOC or second mortgage may be your option if you do not want to give up your low interest rate that you got, you know, a couple of years ago. So you may have that two and a half to maybe three and a half percent, and you're saying, hey, Jupiter, there's no way I would want to give away this. It is three percent for a current six percent. But look into a home equity line of credit. So can you talk a little bit about the pros and cons of uh, refinance versus a HELOC? Um, I, I would I would venture to say probably one of the pros with a refi is going to be the term in terms of, you know, time period, because HELOCs are relatively short, right? Um, well, the HELOC draw period is about 10 years, but then the pay the payback period is 20 years. So the HELOC is actually a t- a, could be a 30-year loan. So the, for for the first 10 years on the HELOC, you could you know you could pay down, charge up, pay down whatever you want to do with the HELOC, um, whether it's invest in a business, invest in you know whatever it may be that you want to. Because keep in mind, a, a home equity line of credit or HELOC is basically a huge credit card against your home. So you could pay it down to a zero balance, and if next month you need $20,000, no problem. You just charge it on your HELOC. Um, So for the first 10 years, that HELOC, you could draw and pay down. After that first 10 years, so from year 11 all the way to year 30, that's where they put you into a fixed rate, um, where where it's a fixed payment period, fixed uh, amortization schedule to pay it off in, in the 20 years. Now, the one thing, if there is a pro or con with the HELOC, is that you have to be financially responsible. Because it is a, it is like a big credit card, you do hear stories of people that may get a little, may not be very, very responsible for with it. So you could literally charge up vacations and groceries on your HELOC, and now you're paying, you know, for the groceries you bought X amount of years ago, you're paying that over the course of 30 years. Uh, so it is very important that you do have a strategy in using the HELOC because it can definitely, you know, run away from you just like your credit card. Where with those, a, a second mortgage say, those or are, sometimes – Those are some expensive groceries. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Imagine just your pain on that. <laughs> so, uh, gonna, yeah, so that's the one thing. Pay? Oh, well, I was going to say with a second mortgage, sometimes it's referred to as a HE loan, a home equity loan. Um, it's just a second lien against your home. Um, keep in mind, I know sometimes people get scared when they hear a lien, but not all liens are bad liens. If you have a mortgage on your home, you have a lien. That's how they know if you have a mortgage. If not, you'd be able to take out a mortgage on a home and sell the home and take the whole cash, you know, in your pocket. But they put a lien on your home that way that certain liens have, have to be satisfied. So the first mortgage is the first lien. Um, then the second mortgage would be the second lien. So, the good thing with the second mortgage is that you know that you say, hey, Jabir, I need, you know, just making up numbers, I need $50,000 to pay off some debt and another 5000 or 10000 for my pocket for emergencies. No problem. So we'll get you that $60,000 loan and you paid over the course of 20 years or 30 years. But you know you can never really get in trouble by charging up 
the credit card and then, you know, the home equity line of credit and paying it down and charging up again. With the uh, HE loan or second mortgage, it's basically a fixed payment for the course of those 30 years. I have one other quick now, question before going. I have one other quick question before going to break, and that is, do either one of those, the second mortgage or the HELOC, do either one of them help if you're responsible with them in terms of building up your credit? Yes, yes. Um, any Anything when it comes to anything that reports to the credit bureau, as long as you pay it, pay the, pay it on time, is going to help build your credit. Now, the one thing I will say with the HELOC is because it is like a big credit card, is that they will, I would suggest that you take out a larger HELOC than what you believe you may need because it is reporting like a line of credit. So if you have a $50,000 HELOC and you have it maxed out at 50000 it could possibly have a negative effect on your credit. And that's because whenever your credit cards are maxed out, even if you pay them on time, you will notice that for whatever reason, you're probably wondering why your credit score isn't going above a certain uh, credit, um a score is because it's not only do you pay the, the your payments on time, but when it comes to credit cards and lines of credit, are you maxed out in those? So it's just important that you are responsible and don't max out the line of credit. We are here with Jabir Najir on of Rise on Mortgage. This is Mortgage Monday, but we're also going to talk uh, with Paul Shelton about the economy, too, when we come back. So stay with us. If you have questions, the number is 516-387-1944. Dee's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time and you need to plan a wake or repast. Let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. Good morning. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. It is Mortgage Monday, but we're also, uh, because we didn't do it on Friday, we're going to talk a little economics. Uh, Paul Z. Shelton of Warwick Shore is going to join us. Are you there, Paul? Okay, he should be with us shortly. But in the meantime, we are going back with Jabir Najir Raj on Mortgage. And if you have questions, please ask. The number is 516-387-1944. Jabir, I want to talk um, a little bit about, I want to get people to understand a little bit more about uh, the timelines in terms of coming with, let's say, cash versus getting a loan versus having to use uh, down payment assistance or, or any time first-time home buyer programs. Can you um, talk a little, elaborate a little bit on that and explain why the timelines are, are different? 
Sure. So we'll start with cash. Cash is one of the fastest ways to purchase a home. And the reason is that there is less um, less, of, less of a process. Basically, you get an appraisal. If you choose to even get an appraisal, because that's also not necessary. If you're buying cash, you say, hey, I'll buy the home for X amount of dollars. Whether the home is worth more or less than the appraised value, you've already decided to, you've already, uh, you have the cash to do so. Uh, when it comes to the title work, um, that's pretty much, if you're a criminal, the only thing you're really looking for. Um, that's only required is that the title company is able to pull a clean title so they could actually transfer the property into your name. Everything else is optional from the appraisal to the inspections to the whole nine. You have cash in your, in your, in your hand, you could basically purchase it. So you could close in less than a week if necessary. Um, when it comes to financing, it really depends. I mean, I have closed loans in two, two and a half weeks, and even in today's market, assuming that the person has everything in in place. When I say everything, you have all the docs in, and you know uh, you're able to order an appraisal. Hopefully, within 48 hours. Hopefully, 24 hours of the of the contract coming in, and hopefully, there's no huge challenges when it comes to the title company pulling title. Has far, and I say no huge challenges. Sometimes there are certain liens against title. I've uh, had a recent case where somebody had um, uh, a lien from a, a roofing uh, job that they had done and they never paid the roofer. So when it came to closing, they just, it should have never gone that far, but, you know, I don't deal on the seller side, I only deal on the buyer side, that the seller didn't, had to come to the table with, with cash and they just didn't have the money, you know, to close, basically, the seller didn't have enough money to close, so we had to renegotiate the contract. But in most cases, if 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 the there's no huge issues on title, and the buyer's able to order appraisal inspections, you know, as I said, hopefully within 24 to 48 hours, and um, everything is, even though I still always recommend getting a 30-day contract if possible. Um, now, when it comes to the uh, down payment assistance. That is the one thing that I would say minimum of 45 days, assuming that you're in a county that things are moving quickly. But it's not uncommon for 60 to even 90 days in certain cases. And the reason is that there's so many times that when it comes to the title company and the mortgage company, we're ready to go. But when it comes to the down payment assistance, usually it's a government entity that is providing this uh, down payment assistance. And there's no rush in them. They're, you know, you basically submit your file. And I've had times where we had appraisal, uh, the approval from the first mortgage, the lending side, inspections, everything in, and we check in with down payment assistance. And they haven't even looked at the file, and we're three to four weeks into a contract. They just have not, not that they're still reviewing it, they haven't even opened the file to review it. Now, down payment assistance, they will also have their own set of, conditions. And, you know, I've worked with CPA for, wow, probably 15 years now. So I kind of know what they're going to ask for ahead of time. So I, I can, norm, normally I get 80% of what they need ahead of time. Um, so that kind of helps to cut some, cut some time. But once they actually review that, then it also takes some time to order the money. It, it's, it's just a longer process with DPA. So, you know, 45 days if you're lucky, but it's not uncommon to see 60 or sometimes even 90. So when, when you start to add more parties into the mix, then it could possibly take longer, just like a 2 or 3K. Um, if you're getting a, two or th a regular FHA loan, 
you know, let's just call it three weeks. We add a, a contract in there for a two or three K. There's more paperwork, so you know, I would normally say 45 days for a two or three K, and this is assuming everything works in our favor in regards to the timeline. Do you have to have a, a special inspector or appraiser or anything with regards to the 203K loan? Um, for the inspector, no. For the 203K, kind of, sort of. There is a different format in which the, the 203K loans are done in regards to the, the, the appraisal. So the mm-hmm. appraiser has to not only provide what the home is currently worth, but what the home would be worth after all the rehab items are done. So that's another reason why it's why a two or three K may take longer is because you have to have your contractor ready to go before you even put the contract in. Because there's been many times that somebody may have a a two or three K uh, a loan and they need a two or three K loan and oh, I'm sorry, they have a contract and they need a two or three K loan and four or five days into the loan they're still looking for a contractor. Keep in mind that mm-hmm. also slows us down on our lending side because I don't know. I know you're applying for a two or three k loan, but do you need twenty thousand in rehab, thirty five thousand in rehab, ten thousand in rehab? And sometimes people look at me like I don't know. Just you know, they want me to make up a number, and especially <laughs> if I haven't seen the home personally, like I really don't know. There's it could be a, a fifty thousand dollars swing, either way. Mm. And I I also don't know what you want when it comes to rehab. I may say okay, it's a 2,000-square-foot home and, you know, $1.99 for um, for some uh, laminate flooring, and you may come back to me and say, Jabir, why would I want to put that type of laminate flooring in? The laminate flooring I want is, you know, $6.99 uh, per square foot. So you could, you know, it's kind of hard for your lender or your broker to decide how much rehab is needed because, yes, there are certain things that, you know, are easier to estimate if you need to replace drywall. But when it comes to certain items such as bathroom fixtures, uh, flooring, um, replacement of, uh, you can replace your whole kitchen, um, that's more so on your preference and the quality of products that you want in the home. So all that to say is that it's very important to have your contractor available, you know, before you know who your contractor will be before you have a contract in, so they could go out to the mm-hmm. home once you have an approved contract and hopefully get an estimate out to us in 24 to 48 hours. That's the other thing. We've actually had to chase contractors down for estimates for two weeks. So we're, as you can see, yeah. where a 203K loan is kind of hard to really pinpoint because that's the third party that we have no control over. A lot of times I've never even yeah. met this contractor before, and it kind right. of holds us up on the financing. Yeah, yeah. I mean – it, it, so it's, I mean, it's, everybody thinks that. Well, I won't say everybody, but a lot of people think that you know, buying a house is is going to be smooth sailing, you know, and, and things just you know come up. Even even when you plan stuff, things come up, you know. But it's it's you know, it's good to make sure that you have you know a good team of people working with you. That you have a realtor you can trust, uh, a lender that you can trust, you know, contractor that you can trust, uh, and, and you know, make sure that that they're all, you know working in you know with each other you know so that they can you know get this as smoothly and as efficiently and quickly as possible so well anyway we're going to oh please yes well one thing i was just quickly throwing there just uh 15 seconds here is if you do choose a contract contractor 
hopefully you choose a contract that's worked with a 203K loan program before because they do mm-hmm. require a lot of details. So a lot of contractors are used to working with the homeowner directly, even when they put together the estimate. It's, it's a very skeleton sketch of, I guess you could say, the estimate, what, the, what they're going to do. And the lender wants there to be very they, – they want the estimate to be very detailed. In addition to that, they need a lot of information to verify who the contractor is and to find out, you know, basically their history to make sure that they're able to take on this type of job. The lender doesn't want to cut a – a $35,000 check to somebody and they have no idea how to spend that $35,000 check. So a lot of times contractors, once they find out all the paperwork they have to fill out, we've had contractors that have actually backed back down like, ah, I don't have time for all that right now. So just hopefully, not saying we don't work with new contractors, but they have to be willing to go through the paperwork and provide the detail uh, estimate. If anything goes wrong during the rehab, uh, the lender needs to be able to go back to the contract and say, you know, you say it would cost X amount of dollars to do this specific thing, whether it's rip up the floors, you know, put down, you know, grout. They they want to know the whole labor, materials, you know, the whole every step. They want to know what it's going to cost in case there's an issue down the line. Thank you. We uh, And how do people reach you, Jabir, before we go? Uh, you can reach me, Jabir Najer. So the email address is Jabir, J-A-B-I-R, at Ryajan, that's R-I-A-J-A-N.com. Or you can contact me directly on my cell, uh, 321-239-5814. Once again, that's 321-239-5814. I can't believe this is the last show with you for the unless something comes up the last show for the for 2022 so uh thank you for you know all that you've contributed and we look forward to talking with you again in the new year looking forward to it thanks thank you take care when we come back paul z shelton with warwick shore is going to get an economic update this has been g's power hour on never had it so good entertainment and we will be right back Does it appear the long arm of the law is working against you instead of for you? Whom do you call when the boys in blue are pursuing you? When the wrong person behind bars may end up being you? With over 40 years combined legal expertise, Anderson and Welch bring to bear a smart, sound, sensible defense of those caught in what may be the unrelenting grip of the legal system. Turn to Anderson & Welch first to get ahead of trouble, not fall into it, by calling 561-832-3386. That's 561-832-3386. That's Anderson & Welch Law Firm online at andersonandwelch.com. Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us this Monday morning and afternoon. Thanks to Jabir Najir of Rajon Mortgage for the mortgage update. And now we're going to check in with Paul Z. Shelton of Warwick Shore. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing this morning? Doing well. Thanks so much for being with us. So tell us what's going on. Um, we heard that, well, I don't know. It sounded like a little bit of a, of a mixed bag, even though it seemed like they were trying to put a positive spin on the, the um, jobs report on Friday. But but tell us what's going on. 
Yeah, so it, it was a little bit of a mixed bag. I, I think the the exciting part of it are what the market received as are perceived as exciting is that the um, possibly the, the 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 functions that the Federal Reserve has put into place to slow down the economy are starting to work. And typically, we start this place in the employment and the labor market. Once we start to see a somewhat of a slowdown or the labor market is not extremely hot then we realize that, okay, now the economy is finally starting to slow down. We know all of these are lagging indicators. If um, employment stays high and the new jobs added to the market remains really, really high or hotter than expected, then we know we'll see increase in spending in the forecoming months, which will also lead to additional inflation in that time frame. So it looks like what happened is we're starting to see somewhat of a plateau in the labor market, um, we did see a sizable gain in jobs added in the month of November, or the total of 263,000 jobs that was added in the month, which is good, which is positive, but it was much lower than the expectations for the market in November. Um, so that allowed the unemployment rate to stay steady at 3.7%. Um, like we've seen over the last several months and throughout the recovery from the pandemic is uh, – the sectors and industries that are leading the way are the ones that are very near and dear to the, the central Florida economy. So when you look at leisure and hospitality, and when you look at the uh, healthcare industry, those were the top two job-gaining industries um, overall, with roughly about 62,000 jobs added to leisure and hospitality um, leading the way there, and, and also another 45,000 jobs added to the healthcare industry. So those are, are, are two things that are very, very good, especially for, you know, the, the state of Florida and especially Central Florida region. Those are, are some very good highlights in there. And, and what this job report says is that the economy is doing well, it's growing. Um, it may not be expected to grow or grow as strong as it has in the past, which is good because that means that now the Federal Reserve may take a break from raising interest rates so high to, uh, to kind of combat inflation. And maybe some of the more normal organic market functions will take place, and then we'll see possibly organic reduction in prices and things of that nature. So I, I believe that's what um, the market perceived as that mixed bag of happiness on Friday when these numbers were released. But o overall, this was kind of the, uh, the jobs report number that we would like to see. Now, what would be true and good if we can have follow-up to this in the month of December and January going forward. Okay. So, and I, I know I haven't didn't ask you to prepare this. I don't know if you have the information or can break it down for us, um, but we know sometimes there's a discrepancy between what a positive jobs report looks like in general and what it looks like for um, you know, African Americans or or uh, minority communities. So, um, have have you seen? Do you have any information on that? Um, I do have some preliminary information on it. I haven't taken a deep dive into it, but you know, historically and unfortunately, it's always been a disadvantage in the in an um, African American community when compared mm -hmm. to other um, minority uh, minorities. So. What it looks like is, as of right now, and, and this found all of the, uh, the labor force by men and women um, and also by teenagers of the, of the working age population. 
But when you look at it from a racial standpoint or from, you know, an ethnicity standpoint, um, the unemployment rate for whites currently is 3.2% versus 5.7% for African Americans. Um, when you look at the unemployment rate for Asians, it is less than, than that of whites. It's 2.7%. So there, there's um, better opportunities or there's more Asian Americans that are employed in our country right now and actually than whites. And then when you look at it, you know, for Hispanics, um, the unemployment rate is 3.9%. Now, when you look at the, the outside of the blacks, when you look at the white Asians and Hispanics, all of their um, unemployment rates are either meeting or just above and below um, the national average for overall, you know. But when you look at it for African Americans, um, there's, you know, the national um, unemployment rate right now is 3.7%, and for blacks it's 5.7%. So it's a significant difference. It's much greater in that respect, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. Let me ask you this. Um, there are a lot of jobs out there that they will ask for uh, bilingual uh, applicants. Do you think that the African-American community is maybe, uh, that's why the rate is so high maybe, that maybe there's a, they're at a disadvantage? Uh, some people who, who don't, uh, and usually when they say bilingual, a lot of times it's, it's Spanish. It's not like in, in in our in Central Florida area, there are a lot of people that speak French or Creole, but most of the time when they ask for bilingual applicants, it's um, people who speak Spanish. Do you think that that puts African American communities at a disadvantage for for jobs? I, I honestly do believe that that puts um, African Americans at a disadvantage because most African Americans are not bilingual in that respect. Um, we do have a much larger population of. Um, Hispanic countries migrating, our citizens migrating to the U.S. and specifically, specifically to Florida and Central Florida. So I understand mm-hmm. when businesses are, are looking for that or have a demand for um, the ability to have someone to, to provide those services, but it does place that inability or it does place, that, I should say, that disadvantage on, um, you know, blacks because, you know, most blacks do not, are, are not bilingual and they do not speak Spanish. Um, in, in most cases. Now, I would say that's only part of something new that's being added to it. There's many, um, many, you know, fundamental issues that we have that have caused this disparity between, you know, whites and blacks when it comes to the unemployment rate. You know, like I said before, whites are currently at 3.2%, you know, and that's mm-hmm. not just going to happen just from um, a recent desire, and when I say recent, that may be over the last five to ten years, to have more, you know, bilingual employees. This has been a systemic issue that has been um, shared all across, you know, this country, and it hasn't been just over the last five to ten years. There's been a significant, and when you look deeper in, into the employment situation, employment scenario in this country, there's been a significant disparity between um, African-Americans um, and whites that have been allowed to be in the boardroom of many co- companies across this nation and allowed to be in the, the C-suite in that level and senior management level of employment. And so this is a, it is a, in my eyes, it's a systemic issue that's, that's greater than uh, some things that are just arising now. And hopefully um, this is, 
with the moves that uh, we've seen, unfortunately, you know, through the murder of George Floyd, we've, we've seen some moves where more companies and organizations are leaning to have more representation from the African-American community and senior management and on our board of directors. And hopefully that will continue to grow and uh, we can see some true significant change and some rectification in these unemployment numbers. I want to ask you, I'm going off that subject for now, and I want to ask you, though, about the, um, I guess, impact or of uh, Elon Musk and what he's done or is doing with Twitter. Um, are other corporations looking at what he's doing and, and would, are they maybe thinking about following in his footsteps with their own companies. Can you talk a little bit about what he's doing and what kind of impact that will have on Twitter and other other um, similar businesses? In, in what ways? I'm sorry, I may be a little out of the loop on exactly and everything that okay. he's doing. With well, well, yeah. you know, I mean, he basically did some, some, like, major house cleaning and then, you know, bringing – or attempting to bring people back, but you know, uh, it was like, okay, we're you know, you've got until X amount of date to to say that you're going to uh, continue to work with us and and to follow these new uh, types of disciplines in terms of the workplace, or you know, we'll give you a severance package and you can go. Um, and a lot of people left. Uh, but so I guess what I'm wondering, it to me, it seems very difficult especially post-COVID, to kind of put a lot of restrictions on employees uh, to get them to adhere to a lot of stringent rules, um, especially if there's, you know, there still seems to be a lot of uh, jobs out there where, other, where employees can go elsewhere. Uh, so I, that's, I was just curious. Yeah, I, I think in general, and I wasn't too familiar with all, all the nuances behind that, but I think in general, uh, whenever you have a a figure um, such as Elon Musk take over a, a company and 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 really entices and and solicits public notification in a manner that he does, it, it becomes a dangerous proposition. Um, you know, a lot of the movements that he makes, and, and these are things that he's done even before Tesla when he had you know his companies overseas and things. A lot of movements that he makes are in how mm-hmm. to exert his authority not necessarily geared toward um, what's good for the common shareholder or good for the organization going forward. Um, that may be the ending result when he tries to pull everything down, but that's not the initial margin in which he takes. So I think a, a lot of those notions and, and for many of those, those employees that, that chose not to come back, um, you know, not knowing their individual situation, but um, things mm-hmm. may work out better for them, you know, eventually. Uh, Elon Musk is a character that has been uh, – he, he, he stepped over the line a couple times when it, when it came to, you know, free speech regarding the Securities and Exchange Commission. So mm-hmm. there's a close eye on him from that and, and some potential insider trading and market manipulation things that he has done and said – in the past, um, that it just does not seem like he's able to censor himself and those around him that, you know, 
managing his uh his well being are unable to do so as well. So working with a company where you have that sort of instability at the top can only be frustrating for those um that look for stability. Okay. Okay, we're going to talk more about the economy. When we come back, we are here with Paul Lee Shelton of Warwick Shore. This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we will be right back. This is Douglas Dobbs of Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community for 29 years with quality funeral and cremation services. Honoring all religions and faiths, we have been here for many grieving families. Whether it's a complete funeral service with a burial or a simple, dignified cremation, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here for you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs, dedicated to serving our families. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. Good afternoon. Welcome back to the G's Power Hour. I never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Here with Paul V. Shelton of Warwick Shore. We're um, getting our economic update. Um, so what? What? let's talk about the gas prices that supposedly went up because of the war in Ukraine and now are, are starting to decline and the war is still going on in, U- in Ukraine. So <laughs> what's up? Yeah, well, a, a, a lot of the... Uh... A lot of the, the prices are, you know, the, the rim around prices have been around speculation. And typically when gas prices go up, it's because oil prices are surging. Um, oil being a commodity that's publicly traded, there is a lot of speculation that adds to the plus in the prices of it. Uh, and oil prices, you know, rise as much as 2% is on the hopes of China reopening and OPEC, you know, maintaining their output you know, cut and target as of right now. So we may see a resurgence in, in prices. As of right now, at $80.53 a barrel, I am much happier today than I was two months ago buying <laughs> gas. <laughs> yep. Two months ago, I was much happier than I was, you know, five months prior to that, um, especially if, if you're able to get by a Sam's or somewhere like that and purchase gas, which has been much, much cheaper. So if, if we continue to see some of the um, – you know, supply, you know, ease a little bit, you know, on the market that, that will, you know, keep, you know, prices down a little bit. But if OPEC decides to, to maintain cuts or, you know, increase the amount of, of output that they're going to produce to the, to the market uh, for the BRN right now, we might see prices edge up a little bit more. But what we don't see, and, what, and going back to your initial point, is we don't have the, uh, the headline news anymore about the war in Ukraine that initially started the prices. And again, as I mentioned before, speculation is a lot of what drives the prices. Now, we did have disruption um, from Russian oil, and there was, you know, a lot of changes that took place after Russia invaded Ukraine when it came to crude oil, um, which is traditional Mm -hmm. Brent 
North Sea crude oil, which is different from the West Texas Intermediate, which we primarily use here. That Brent North Sea crude oil is currently trading at just at $87 a barrel, barrel. So that's still a little bit more expensive than what we are trading at here in the U.S. But um, the headlines and initial fear was that uh, there would be long-term and catastrophic losses from the production of oil coming out of Russia, that it will cause a significant um, shortage in the supply in oil. And that's what it essentially drove that speculation price, which is something that we see very similar whenever there is a, a hurricane or something that takes place in um, the Gulf of Mexico or if there's a fire in, in many of the oil wells in the Middle East we'll see that short-term disruption. It was just more mm-hmm. prevalent and it was a little louder um, because of the nature of the disruption being a conflict between um, Ukraine and Russia, which is very unfortunate. Okay. I was just curious. And, and yes, I'm very thankful for the gas prices too. I'm very thankful that I have a, <laughs> a Sam's Club membership and then get really yeah. low gas prices. Yeah. <laughs> Just got to battle those lines. Yep. So, okay, what else is going on with the economy right now? And you have some, like, quick predictions for 2023. Yeah, so we, you know, some of the things that we're looking at is, is kind of 2023-wise is what are, where are we going to be in our economy? Um, will we see a, a recession or will the Federal Reserve actually engineer a soft landing um, to this inflation, you know, game that we're playing right now. So that that's really what we're focusing on. Um, some of the things that are kind of playing in the favor and, and helping out the Federal Reserve right now is organically Treasury yields have come down a, a little bit. So the Treasury yields are, are coming down. That's bringing interest rates, or, or I should say relieving some pressure on interest rates, and things of that nature, although interest rates are still higher, significantly higher than where they were a year ago when it comes to mortgages, car loans, and things of that nature, personal loans. Um, So that is a help where it comes from the standpoint of the Federal Reserve having to engineer or artificially raise rates to combat, you know, a strong economy. Um, So that is a positive in that. Two, what we were just talking about, commodity prices. Commodity prices are, are, you know, much lower today. Um, than they were over the summer, than they were a year ago. Typically, whenever we're going into a a recession or there's a significant threat of a recession, you'll see a significant spike in commodity prices that will stay high um, until that recession has come and left. Now, many people could argue that we saw that this time. Um, We technically didn't have two negative, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, which by textbook meaning, is a recession. So we did see that this year. However, we don't, we didn't really classify this as a recession, or at least um, it really hasn't felt like one for most Americans because the economy has still been, you know, chugging along very well. And, and then as a caveat, our side note to that, typically the National Bureau of Economic Research does not classify a recession for at least 12 months after it happens. And that, that gives them time to go back and look at the data and kind of cherry pick and say, yes, this is when we entered a recession and this is when it ended. So mm, it could okay. be very well some, sometimes in 2023, you know, the end of 2023, they may look back and say, yes, actually June 2022 
2022, we entered a recession and we were out of it by August or whatever the case may be. They may say that. And if that seems to lead to be the case, then that will coincide. And when we saw the spike in the plateau in crude oil prices and the, the subsequent um, downdraft that we're seeing right now, also at the same time, the inverse happened. Crude, crude oil prices went down, stock market prices are going up. So we're starting to see that recovery in the market. And that's something that I've been, you know, mentioning to um, a lot of my clientele and client base. It's not to run away from this market, even though you may see days of volatility like today. Um, there was, you know, a couple days ago, two, three Thursdays ago, we had a 5.6% increase in the S&P mm-hmm. 500. So you miss out on those days when you run away from the market. And I, I truly believe that um, – the stock market is pricing in the recovery now, or it priced in all the negativity um, and, and finished up all the negativity in the economy already with the, the volatility that we've seen leaving out of August. And we're back on a trajectory. You know, I, I dare not say another bull market, but I don't think <laughs> that we're going to see uh, a significant crash where some people say, you know, we're due to drop 40% over the next you know, six months. I, I just don't, fortunately, I don't see that, you know, fundamentally fundamentally in the numbers. So those, those are some of the things that I'm looking for. Um, if we can keep crude oil prices down, if we can see some stabilization in interest rates, I think that will allow the economy to, you know, take a breath and hit that reset button and be able to, to move forward in a better notion. Uh, something else that I am keeping an eye on is what's going to happen with, you know, student loans. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what the Biden administration has, you know, proposed, um, I know that would provide a significant boost to the economy um, in the standpoint of reducing debt for many Americans that have uh, student loan debt. Are so, you know, it's, I, I'm a proponent for that because I believe that's a healthy restructuring of of household debt um, as opposed to just giving a free check that's allowing people to, to really come out from under the thumb of that debt that unfortunately continues to grow and mount um, when it comes to interest and compounded interest on that. So hopefully something will be rectified where that can continue to move forward and um, help many Americans restructure that debt, bring down their, their monthly uh, expenses, and allow them to be able to be more fruitful and more prudent um, with their spending going forward in the future. Is it, um, as people are, I guess, let's say making New Year's resolutions and, and restructuring their, their lives and stuff like that, is it a good time right now to, to consider uh, starting their own business if they haven't yet? You know, a lot of people were doing that during um, COVID when and a, lot of, a lot of things changed. Uh, in, in, there's a lot of jobs out there, but what about just going ahead and starting your own? business i i'm always a proponent as an entrepreneur myself i'm always a proponent for getting out there and and uh, taking that leap of faith and starting your own business um i definitely encourage those that are are dibbling and dabbling or sticking their toe in the water or may have that side hustle that they're doing that's maturing um, take that next step and see how you can mature that side hustle to to match what you're making from your nine to five or exceed it and um and take that leap. I mean, now could be a very advantageous time, you know, to do so from an economic okay. standpoint. So if you're, 
And that sounds really good, but if you are living paycheck to paycheck, how do you come up with, you know, at least some of the funds in order to, you know, get started, especially if you're trying to, let's say, get get a loan or something or, or whatever, there are some cases where they expect you to have a, a, to prove your interest by having a certain amount of money up front. Right, yeah. And that's where, you know, it comes in. If, if this has been a side hustle that has matured for you and you're able to store up those savings or you're able to, to show that income or that stream of income or that, that clientele or that revenue that is expected to come in from whether it's from contracts or things of that nature, then yes, by all means, you know, that's the time to do so. There's no secret formula out there, you know, to it other than hard work, honestly. So, you mm-hmm. know, you really have to put it in, put in that hard work and, um, for for many, if your industry allows you to do so, um, to you know work for yourself and pursue your side hustle at the same time, for many it means don't sleep until I'm able to get this side hustle to, to to buy me out of my current job. And there's there's no rhyme or reason, there's no silver bullet or anything that could to really satisfy that, but grinding and hard work every day, doing what you have to do every day to grind and get it done. And um, some of the entrepreneurs that I speak with that are are the most successful um, have that same story. And and I'll share this, too, about an engineer that I know. He uh, started his company in his basement, worked in his basement for several years, um, was able to hire a couple people, and it wasn't until it wasn't until about twelve years into his organization until he started, you know, becoming the highest paid individual. He hired several people that were much higher paid than him that, that brought in that he paid them much more because he knew he needed to grind and have them and, and leverage their expertise to be able to get in and grow from there. Um now that organization has five offices. Um one across the United States, one is in Puerto Rico, and has several hundred million dollars in revenue every year. So it's, hmm. it's possible, but it takes hard work, and it, it takes grinding and uh, constantly just, just being on that grind, looking for the opportunity. And I'm, I'm fair, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer of, of networking. If you're really mm-hmm. out there and you're pushing the business you want to push and, and you know, or, and you are a true believer, you're an advocate for it, and you've drunk your own Kool-Aid, you'll get out there and people will buy into what you're doing, and they'll be willing to help spread the word for you just to be a part of your growing success. And we can see that as well. Um, I'll drop another, someone else that I know, um, Deuce. Uh, Deuce is a company that, pr- that produces golf apparel. I first okay. met Ty and, and we're probably going to have to talk about him later. We're going to, in fact, that's a good thing that we could talk about uh, for Black History Month. Some people, some of okay. our, our entrepreneurs, I think that would be a good idea. But we got to go, Paul. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, and Happy New Year. Thank you. All right, bye bye. And bye bye. And thank you all for listening. This has been G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. Be well, be safe, be blessed, and please remember. All real power comes from God. Take care.